WLIW-FM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. Welcome to WLIW-FM In Conversation. I'm your host, Diane Michelli, General Manager of WLIW-FM. And with me is East End resident and sculptor Fitzhugh Carroll. Thank you for joining us, Fitzhugh. Yeah, pleasure. So let's start with telling our listeners who are not familiar with your work how you describe your artistry. Sure. Well, I suppose I'm first and foremost sort of think of myself as a sculptor. And then being that material sort of guide my thinking, I sort of have three different areas where I work. One is larger sort of outdoor steelworks that are in the public space, particularly things that are, I guess you could say, large and robust enough to be climbable and to the degree that they're allowed. So yeah, part of what my practice is about making large things that are accessible for people to sort of be amongst or within or on. Um, And then another part of my practices also large scale, but carving wood. And and again, that typically tends to be in the outdoor space, but isn't necessarily as interactive as some of the larger steelworks uh, that I do. And then the third prong of my practice is working in clay. And um, that's really my background was working in ceramics. That's what I studied in college and did an apprenticeship for and went to graduate school for. And I you know, when I moved to Brooklyn years ago, I, I moved from clay into wood and steel. And it's actually just been kind of in the last two, three years that I've really returned to my original medium of ceramics, which has been a lot of fun. But yeah, I guess that sort of sums up my practice and physicality. But thematically, I've always really been drawn to uh, landscapes and always drew landscapes as a kid, sort of little fantasy places that I, you know, my mind would be climbing around on. And in some degree, that's kind of still what I do. I sketch from observed landscape, from imaginary landscape, and then often those silhouettes or sort of inspirational images from landscapes um, observed or imagined are things that I riff off of in all of my sculptural works, you know, really, really all three of those categories of work. So I find the work to be abstract, and often it is seen as abstract or seen um, that there are a lot of sort of different things that anybody could pull out of the work or, or see in the work. But ultimately, landscape is probably the biggest grounding function or inspirational function uh, within within what I make. Of course, living out in Springs and on the East End, probably very inspirational. You grew up in New Hampshire in the White Mountains, also a beautiful, magical place, different from the East End. But Indeed. both places have their own magic that you talk about infusing into your work. How have these two environments found their way into your work and what do they look like? Well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned kind of growing up. I think there's a strong thread to that landscape, you know, experienced landscape where some of my early, even as a childhood works, but but even college and even grad school kind of related to mountains and hiking and trails and little like, you know, when you're on a trail somewhere and you see people who take care of the trails have built like a stone staircase mm-hmm. into the steep part, yes. you know, that, that sort of things that I remember from growing up so clearly. I think those landscape elements and particularly stairs as representational thing are in my work and always have been. And so I think that's kind of in their foundation from growing up. It's interesting. I think the landscape uh, out in the East End Springs, not only the on-land landscape, but just the you know maritime landscape and different islands popping around, just kind of the, the landscape of the shore have definitely seeped into my thinking over the last couple of years. And, and I would say most notably, it's actually been the shapes on land and working with trees 
particularly in this past year, I really, really kind of dug into working on large scale timber works, woodworks from trees that I'd gotten around from East Hampton. And with those, I was kind of sketching things I was seeing around in, uh, in spring places from the beach. And, and I sort of took some of those landscapes and loosely kind of traced them on top of these logs that I, I carved when they're laying down. But, you know, some of those shapes go back to little stair step shapes. And some of them are actually, I'll observe an island in the distance and kind of draw over that and then maybe interpret some zigzag and, and shapes and little holes and things that celestial objects that you could see in the horizon. Over the last couple of years of living in Springs full time, I, I feel like I've been bringing in things from the natural world, the observed world, a lot more clearly than in the past where, you know, things were more architectural or indeed coming from childhood. And you said you started out working in ceramics, you've moved to sculpture, now you're doing both, obviously. What do you find from the landscape in your ceramic work? And how has your ceramic work evolved from when you first started doing it to where you are today? Well, I, I was making tall, not necessarily monolithic, but compositions that were freestanding and ceramic works that would be on a pedestal or rise up off the floor and, again, have kind of landscape reference, little carvings in them. But since having kind of gone out into um, other media for the last decade or so, the way I've actually returned to um, to clay has been, it's kind of been interesting. First, it was, okay, well, let's make the larger things I'm making in steel. Let's, you know, I'm going to try to make some of those, you know, originate those in clay and see what that's like. So, you know, rolling out slabs, combining, cutting slabs, cutting shapes, putting them together um, for small sort of freestanding objects. Now, with larger steelworks, I tend to cut paper and make little kind of card, I call it card castle sort of construction method where you're cutting paper and slotting them together. So I kind of started getting back into clay with that similar thinking of, okay, I'm originating sometimes in paper. Why not originate in clay slab? It's all of a sudden three-dimensional. Um, and then that might inform what I went, might do on a larger scale, potentially in steel, potentially in other materials. But what I found in clay was what end, I ended up coming to was I had all these slabs that I was rolling out and making these kind of smaller freestanding objects. And I realized, oh, I actually like all these slabs on the floor or on the table. So I started doing murals where I'd lay out a whole grid of slabs and then cut lots of these just shapes that are coming to my head from landscapes, shapes that are coming, uh, mm -hmm. you know, offcuts, things that are not necessarily the intended shapes, drilling holes and things, kind of making a library of, let's call it like a kind of vernacular of shapes on the tabletop. And then I started making these uh, tile mm -hmm. murals, I guess you'd say, and um, have installed a couple of them in, in some places in Brooklyn and a couple of places out here. Interestingly, it feels like I'm kind of getting back to drawing um, because these clay palettes are, are uh, it's sort of just a blank canvas. I can do sketching beforehand and plan a little bit, but then I end up storytelling and, and seeing where I'm going to, seeing where I'm going to go and what shapes I'm going to add, what I want to scratch in, what kind of, you know, even little hidden messages I might want to put in there with these different characters and objects on the clay plane. Constant evolution. And you mentioned the landscape being quite an influence, but the craft world has also influenced you and is a big part of your work. Where does that come from and what's the influence there? The craft world is really where my background is. I mean, working in pottery at Skidmore College, that was kind of my initial mm -hmm. lure into, into uh, clay. And mm -hmm. then pottery evolved into sculpture. And then my apprenticeship with ceramic artist Toshiko Takeizu for a year after college was really such a remarkable experience living and working with her for a year, um, helping her with her work, but also, um, you know, doing some of my own work, getting, te you know, teachings from her, but taking care of her garden and the house. And it was a real, very holistic mm -hmm. experience, but really steeped, you know, in craft. And she was really one of the juggernauts of the uh, American craft movement who just a really incredible 
example of work ethic and life, a way of living. She was just a remarkable example. But that year with her, I think, really solidified sort of the importance of craft. And my background in it was just really bolstered by that year with her and the people that I met. And actually, one of the connections to uh, the East End was really my first time out here was when I was 21 or, or something like 22, maybe mm-hmm. with her. And we drove out here to visit Jack Larson at, at Longhouse, and we stayed in the, uh, mm-hmm. in the house overnight. And I you know, remember looking around at the collection. You know, I'd seen Tushiga had a wonderful collection of craft works and artworks around, but I was just blown away with what I saw there. And I honestly think my first day here was waking up at dawn at Longhouse in a, just sort of a sea of daffodils in the fog. It was just a very me- memorable day. You also told me when we spoke earlier that that experience of your apprenticeship also helped you to decide to move out to Springs and the East End permanently. What has that been like and why did you decide to do that? Well, we had been in Brooklyn's sort of Park Slope area, wonderful part of Brooklyn. Brooklyn is remains a wonderful place. Um, but, you know, we, mm-hmm. my wife, Lindsay, and I, we both grew up in a much more rural circumstance. We both for a while had been sort of, you know, restless for some more space, as many people do. Both of us, but particularly in thinking about the examples I had, sure, in childhood, but maybe even Toshiko's example was having a garden, having your house that you're tending, and having your studio that you're tending, and having that, some might even call it like a golden triangle, or that at sort of the cornerstone of existence really has always been in my mind, it's always been in Lindsay's mind as well. You know, we kind of knew that that would come at some point, but finding that triangle of of tending studio practice, tending home, and now tending family, uh, kids, but also a garden is has really, it's such a grounding feeling, and it's something that I really enjoy feeling is a bit full, full circle from that time with Toshiko. And she wove all the, the aspects of home and work together in such a beautiful thing where it really sort of all was one pursuit. And I, I would hope to strive, I, I do strive for that all to be um, kind of one pursuit in a way. Do you see your kids sort of taking on some of that magic in their new home on the East End and them experiencing life and doing different things as a result? You know, I would I would say absolutely. <laughs> um, I mean, that's from being able to have them in the studio. You know, there's like a little sort of bench where they can make a mess and they've got their clay tools sitting there and they can come in and work on stuff anytime or a week later they come back and they're glazing things and you know being able to see mm-hmm. a process of things coming out over weeks or months at a time I think is a special thing to be able to provide to them and the garden also I think is equally if not maybe more magical for them at this point the way we're set up a studio and the garden and house are kind of one little courtyard one little space so it's all very much an everyday experience walking through from the kitchen you know in warm months where you're getting some food or even even some kale <laughs> in the winter but yeah, I, I've absolutely seen that. And I, I love seeing that through their eyes. And yeah, it makes me happy to see. Definitely. Getting your kids to eat kale in the winter, <laughs> yeah, no well, matter any time. Usually it's, uh, <laughs> usually it's when they're kale chips. That's when they really get into uh, it. But, um, well, they have good palate. Yeah. You mentioned your wife, Lindsay, who is a jewelry and interior designer you met in college, I believe. And you've co-founded, uh, I think with some others, the Brooklyn Home Company. You talked about architecture and Brooklyn. And while you were living there, you started this company, Brooklyn Home Company. Tell us a little bit about that and the particular practices of passive home principles. So yeah, we indeed, we, we met at graduate school, actually at Rhode Island School of Design. And we, you know, after that, we were kind of like, well, where do we go? Well, New York sort of was an obvious choice. And Lindsay's brother, uh, Bill, had already been living in the city for, for a couple of years. And the story is 
he was an actor and he was like, well, I'm going to flip a house as sort of a side project while I'm trying to get, you know, acting gigs. And then, you know, he, he enjoyed that. We were moving to the, to, uh, New York and, and we had some art background and, but actually Lindsay and I both independently, her more than me, have always had, you know, an architectural interest. And so he said, I think I'd like to do another one of these projects, but you guys could help with the design, right? And we were like, yeah, sure. We, we need to, that's a great reason to come to New York and we can set up a little studio space and we can, you know, actually the first studio space was in the first house that we renovated and we would take down, you know, beams that were coming out or stuff from fire damage. We were, I specifically remember a place in Fort Greene that was kind of our first project that we led creatively. And then he did the business side and we would just make stuff, you know, Lynn would sort of design what the finishes were going to be, what the layout was going to be. And I was like, well, let's make some big, huge sliding door from all these timbers that are coming out of it. And so I would fashion this, you know, a couple of these sculptural doors in that place. And, or I did, and that was back in 2007 or 2008. That's a good example. I mean, that sort of origin story of the company is a good example of how it, you know, of our roles and how things have progressed. And it's certainly grown into a much more significant company than it was then. And I, you know, over the years as that evolved, Lindsay has been the creative director of that company since there's now a design team and her brother runs the business side and there's other family involved in some of the business side and construction company that we're sort of partner with there. And I have really just continued to think about what's a way that I could put a sculptural touch into space in Brooklyn, whether it's a house or a condo or, you know, a small space or a mm -hmm. large space. But, you know, you don't want to walk into a place that's got some very odd sculpture that not a lot of people are going to like. You've got to think of something. Right. Well, what's a way we could bring something kind of interesting that's got some universal appeal, but also is different. And that was kind of my role as call it artist in residence of carving things and inserting mm. them into there. And now I've really been a full-time studio artist for five or six years. I mean, there's always still stuff that I'm feeding into Brooklyn Home Company and things I'm designing that are produced or things that I'm making that go into those properties. But it's, you know, at a larger scale, you mentioned Passive House. I mean, Passive House is a, is a principle. It's basically about using, you, you cut down on every opening in the facade of a building. So you don't have any penetrations that are letting you know air in or out you don't have any gas use everything's electric so you don't have to have ventilation where you're actually forcing air out of the building and you have like a it's called an erv an air purification system that is recirculating and cleaning the air within the spaces um, but sort of the biggest thing is that you don't have heat loss often where you have balconies on buildings or you have things that are flying through the facades of building you, you end up with a lot of heat loss and passive house also calls for extremely thick amounts of insulation on the exteriors of the building, um, which mm -hmm. you know just makes it a really snug envelope and much more efficient. Very energy efficient, especially nowadays. Yep. It's very important, obviously. I looked on the website and the homes are stunning, to say the least. And I could see your touches there based on looking at your work as well. And finding something so magical and special and, you know, striking in a home that you don't expect really does have an impact. Yeah, it's fun. You know, we've known a number of people. I've met, you know, personally, a lot of people who have bought projects from, from the company you know, over the years. And it's also fun that there are a lot of repeat customers who started off in a one bedroom or then, you know, moving up as their careers and families evolve and you know, a lot of custom sort of fun things that, that we end up making for people who are like, well, I'm moving to another place. I love that carved railing that you guys did. Like, could we do another one in this spot? And so, yeah, they're kind of touch points. It's bringing something warm into the home, something yeah, a little different. This is WLIWFM In Conversation. I'm Diane Michelli, and we're speaking with East End resident and sculptor Fitzhugh Carroll. So what are you working on now? What are you doing, and where are we going to see it? Well, let's see. Um, boy, it was a really busy 
winter, or I should say fall, winter, spring. Um, so I'm sort wow. of at the moment, I, we placed a lot of work. I've had these kind of 20 big logs from, um, that I received from kind of Georgica area in East Hampton and worked my way through those. And those 20, 19 or 20 pieces are sort of around, there's some at Longhouse. I've got some uh, in East Hampton. There's some at Moby's restaurant in East Hampton and then up in the Berkshires. And then sort of at the same time, I was producing a new set of larger steelworks, which are in Amagansett Square right now for the summer. And so there are things that are kind of actively shown that I'm already thinking about where they're going to kind of go next. But what I'm actually in the middle of at the moment is I've laid out two big ceramic tile murals on the floor. One of them is just dried. So it's been drying for about a month. So I've just started firing that one. A long process. It's a long process. And it's a lot of, wait, don't step there. Don't, don't step on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I make little like, I need like a little museum chain or something to go around it. But, um, and then we just laid out another sort of floor, you know, eight foot by four foot or so, uh, another tile mural, which is just setting up and actually probably tomorrow morning I'll start doing sort of some of the shaping and drawing and layering and cutting of, of the pattern slabs that'll go on top. And you said that you're, you've become somewhat of a storyteller. What stories are you telling with those ceramics and the drawings that you're doing? I have sort of things in my sketchbook. I have things that are from, you know, trips I've been on and landscapes, things, you know, cutouts that I've saved that sort of make their way into stories in the past. This time, the one that is just drying now, it's sort of an anomaly in that I usually just create something. Well, this is certainly just created out of my head, but I don't necessarily have a theme going into it. Um, but a couple months ago, I was reading this old book that I had when I was a kid with my kids. And it was the Dolaire's book of like Norse mythology. So it's basically like the origin story and then on up through the years. And, and I was just like, remember, I was flipping the pages and I was like, Oh, I remember these images. You know, I hadn't seen these in 35 years, um, but they really sort of resonated with me. And they're very, I mean, leave it to the illustrator. They're very, you know, resonant images, the story and the text is very interesting as well. But, and so I started kind of sketching on that and I was like, oh, you know, this origin story was about, there was, you know, fog and sparks and they're circling for untold time. And then all of a sudden a spark flies and that, you know, creates the first giant. And then there's, you know, then there's a huge pit and then these three, you know, it, it just, this very, fluid and different origin story than, uh, than most. And what I even remembered, I remember the pictures. I didn't really remember the text. Um, you know, there's a giant cow at the, and the salt lick of the cow turns into the maiden and then this and that happens. So I, I sort of, I was like, Oh, this is interesting. And I started sketching some ideas of that and thinking, well, I don't want it to look like too out there. So then, you know, it sort of represents that, but it also sort of doesn't because I took some cues from that, but then started layering in my own shapes and things of my, you know, again, I kind of say my sculptural vernacular, the shapes I'm familiar with, and then using that story in the background. The one that I'm, that I've just laid out, I'm not certain that one's going to go to a Brooklyn project. And I've sort of been sketching, thinking, oh, it could be kind of like a map or it could kind of relate to not, again, not literal. I try not to be too representational, but maybe it could sort of lay out and show something kind of relating to New York Harbor and then, you know, different boroughs and shapes that represent different islands. But then, I don't know, dotted lines or things that show propulsion and movement around the harbor or under the harbor or tunnels or something. So I haven't quite worked that out, but, but I will tomorrow, tomorrow morning, <laughs> the, the, the knives are going to be scraping and the tools will be cutting. And who knows what might happen. Yep. You told me earlier that you, you have been collaborating with some artists up in the Hudson Valley. What kind of work have you been doing up there and what kind of collaborations are you working on? The collaboration really is a metal shop that I've worked with called 21B, 21B Design. 
and they have been they're in kind of Rhinebeck, Statsburg, mm-hmm. Rhinebeck area. And it's just a you know, wonderful relationship. It's now we've been making things together for about five years or so. And my first large outdoor sculpture within municipal works in New York City with New York City Parks Department and Department of Transportation. Uh, the first ones in 2017 were in Prospect Park and Tappan Park, which is in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And when I finished those projects in 2017, I they only go up for one year with parks. I took them down and I was cutting them into segments. And then I was trying to figure like, oh, I sort of I had the show opportunity to put some things up in Washington Connecticut. And I thought, well, I have all these parts. I sort of designed this thing from paper cutouts. I now have these large steel elements. I'll go back to the drawing board and and cut up these paper things and come up with new combinations. And I met these uh, fellows up there and and we sort of played around. Uh, I was up there a couple days a week for that one because I was a lot closer than uh, to their shop physically. And we kind of just had a great rapport. Part of me has always thought, oh, I'm going to build a big metal shop and have all the tools. And well, you know, turns out that's actually not necessarily the best thing to do because it's mm-hmm. kind of a distraction and takes a lot of overhead and they have all the tools you need and um, you know every, everything to help and so actually I find the creative relationship of working together and problem solving together is actually another enjoyable part of the creative process so we've made probably without counting I'd say maybe 20 or so 8 to 10 to 12 foot steel range stable things that get put on the back of a truck and get placed in a municipal location or a DOT location. And yeah, we built some that we designed to fit in shipping containers to go to Australia, which are down there, which get exhibited in October in Australia. Wow. Uh, we, we just finished yeah, these five sort of more, um, I don't know if Rubik's QB is the right th- word, but these extruded and protruded planes together. So yeah, we're learning a lot. That part of my practice, I also uh, really enjoy. I love spending time up there with them, um, but also Kind of like back home to have, you know, working on the scale of clay, the scale of wood Mm -hmm. outside, carving outside. It's really, it feels much more residential. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, mind you, the industrial aspect is fun, um, but it's good to have great partners who who really understand those processes. I think great partnerships are one of the hallmarks of great success. Here, here. No matter what, you're always, you always wind up doing better because of a great partnership. Mm-hmm. If you had to choose one of your works that is your favorite, I know it's probably hard to choose one, <laughs> but what would you pick? Hmm. Can I choose two? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, well, I would say one of the five steel pieces that we just finished, which we just installed at the Tang Museum up at Skidmore College uh, in Saratoga, um, and that that's a steel piece. It's kind of a bright reddy orange steel piece called Recess Reeds. And that piece is, I think, just in that category, it really represents to me the most balanced, but also the most exciting and the most, I suppose, uh, inviting piece that I've made so far. And it's um, it's there for a year on their sort of sculpture pad. So that that piece just really something about it just got some electricity and vibrancy uh, that I love. And then the other one uh, would be this piece titled Friendship, which is at Longhouse. And really all the pieces, these 19 or 20 I made um, of these uh, carved pine logs um, out here in East Hampton Springs, all of them I sort of titled that whole series Friendship. But the, the installation at Longhouse, sort of in this wooded glen, and it's very it's just it's just held very nicely in the landscape. That feels like my other favorite so far uh, of making things. Well, I guess we're going to either have to go up to Skidmore, which is a great place to visit, or head right out to Longhouse and see your beautiful work. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a great pleasure. And we look forward to exploring uh, some of the places that you mentioned that we can see your work. And 
what's to come. Thanks, Fitzhugh. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed our chat. And for a look at some of sculptor Fitzhugh Carroll's work, and for a tour of his East End studio, head to the WLIWFM In Conversation program page on our website at WLIW.org radio. You can also listen to more episodes on our webpage, as well as on the NPR One app, other streaming apps, and podcast platforms. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at WLIWFM to stay in touch. I'm your host, Diane Michelli, General Manager of WLIWFM. Thanks for joining us for this latest episode of WLIWFM In Conversation. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of WLIWFM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond.